Seminary in partnership with Missio Alliance. This is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Hey, Dave, get off your phone, man. We're doing a show. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. You're checking your uh, Twitter followers? How many uh, mentions you got today? Come on, dude. How many comments on Facebook? Dude. Big time in me. We're supposed to be doing a podcast. Dude, you're, you're getting me in a really, you're not getting me in the mood. You got, can you keep that music going? Just trying just a to give you the mood, huh? While I turn off my phone. <laughs> All right. So these are the summer days. We're hosting another summer episode of Theology on Mission in advance of our season two. I bet you didn't know we were going to do a season two, did you, Dave? Really? Is this season two? Well, I figured we just thought it was halfway through season one. Nah, season one's over. We've been doing this for over a year. That's hard to believe. Over a year. It is hard to believe. If you went back and listened to those other podcasts way at the beginning, they'd totally stink. They sound horrible. We're bumbling around. But now they're they're decent, I think. Uh, Seriously? They're They're decent now. Seriously? We were bumbling around? No, just you were. <laughs> so, yeah, so today, what are we talking about? Today, we are going to engage with kind of that perennial pastoral problem where uh, there's an issue, a conflict, some sort of uh, thing is going on in the congregation. People just see things totally differently. How do you enter in as a pastor when it seems like every time you try to bring up the facts of the matter? That people just dig in and separate even more. Right. So why is it that information doesn't seem to solve all of our problems? Why isn't that information doesn't seem to solve all our problems? Yes, uh, you all have been there. Uh, you know, all you have to do is take uh, on a divisive issue like women in ministry, or uh, maybe the blue carpet in the foyer of the church. Whatever it might be, it just seems like. Um, the, uh, there are when there's two sides lined up and they're dug in. Uh, I call it uh, the ideological formation of the church. Um, that the more facts you present, the more arguments, the more direct speaking into it and trying to argue for one side or the other doesn't resolve the conflict. What it does is it makes it worse, and actually both sides dig in more. Right. So there's this kind of phenomenon where when you bring up the facts. It actually doesn't uh, help the situation. People just seem to dig in more. And uh, we were kind of reading this article by David Ignatius who talks about Trump supporters. Washington Post. In the Washington Post. Trump supporters whom, uh, you know, Trump has often made kind of these outrageous and uh, 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 false statements. And then uh, when people go around and and show how, how wrong they are. It doesn't seem to help their cause, and in fact, that it backfires. So why don't you kind of walk us through? And this yeah, and just to prove uh, the point, uh, the same is true of Hillary Clinton and the uh, that side of the uh, the voter uh, uh, constituency. And so I think what the article was trying to say, let me pull it up here. Uh, you know, there's like, there's this like uh, confirmation bias, and and the more you try to refute. Uh, uh, propositions or statements as false information. It just leads people to hold on to their misperceptions even more. And that has been proven with Trump and, I might add, with the Hillary Clinton crowd as well. Um, so I, I guess the bottom line here is that we learn, pastors learn, to uh, that to try to correct misperceptions straight on directly can actually reinforce them. 
Right. So there's, there's a backfire effect in essence. Right. So social uh, psychologists, uh, public relations uh, researchers, and other people have done these tests. They've done research where arguing specific facts and trying to show that something was wrong or stated wrong usually doesn't ha- help people change their minds, and it usually just helps them dig into their own position or to support their candidate stronger or to commit to a policy action more vigorously. And so uh, arguing these facts and just like jumping in and doing a tit-for-tat for you know certain issues doesn't really help anyone out. It's re- right. you know, Often it's preaching to the choir. Uh, and so the question... But, but what does happen, let's say yes. you do a blog post on said controversy. Uh, you will get everybody who agrees with you to come on to your blog and fire up and click. Like it, to say thank like you, it, to retweet and, it, and heart you it. you will get a gathering really quick as, as long as you make is say things that uh, are angry and against and in an antagonism against the other side. Do you see how this is basically not Christian? And then you get the opposite effect where all the people, all the haters jump on and troll your blog. Uh, and meanwhile, you get a bunch of stats, and so you're excited either yeah, which way. So meanwhile, for, the conversation hasn't moved forward an inch. So, so for years, I'd say since I wrote that book on Zizek, I've been studying this phenomenon in the church and how idiotic... What book would that be? Uh, the End of Evangelicalism, question mark, and yeah. how we've been formed as a church out of these antagonisms. But, but really, it's also a way that politics works within the church as well. And so, you know, the question for, for the listeners today... Is uh, you know have have you experienced this this phenomena within your church, you know, and and how do you how do you deal with it? Uh, I was talking with a black pastor on the south uh, in Lawndale, um, I don't know a week ago, and um, we were talking, and he's frustrated and he's he's exhausted and so angry about all the violence against against black men and women, especially black men, the killings by uh, all of the uh, the violence against black men and the, the oppression and victimization of black men by the police force and on all the various um, racist uh, cultural things that are going on in the city of Chicago. He's exhausted, and he says, what can I do? I, well, um, um, I keep fighting. I keep getting more angry, and I think, this, at this point, when we get to exhaustion, we seriously ask, have to ask, is the way we're going about it making any difference? Are we getting anywhere with continually trying to argue for our point of view or for what we think is the solution to the problem? And so this summer, I think the question of racism in America, of white privilege, of white supremacy, even as some would say, and how those things function in our culture, it becomes one of these uh, uh proven grounds for kind of this idea uh this black pastor and others they end up uh, you know you can kind of try to police the ideology of white privilege and point out all the different instances in which it's being affected and who's benefiting from what and you can kind of just exhaust yourself showing trying to reveal the facts of the situation and yet it seems like society is getting nowhere nothing is changing uh the facts don't seem to be landing in a way that transform people and so this is kind of the conundrum that we have. And so uh, did you want to fill that out more? Or are we going to move well, on to the inhabiting point? Well, yeah. But to use my favorite word, ideology, you can see what an ideology is. I thought is. it was Jesus. Your favorite word is, is my ideology? My favorite cultural word. Okay. All right. Well, I was just uh, checking. My favorite word, period, is Jesus. Okay. 
just to make that clear. But uh, my favorite word about thinking about how cultures work is ideology. And you know, you have this you have this blue carpet, and and there's a move to change the blue carpet, and you have, say, this group of people in the church. Over my dead body, do not change the blue carpet. And you have this other group that says the car- blue carpet must go. Now, now we can argue for all we want about whether blue carpet, red carpet, new carpet, old carpet, uh, industrial carpet, whatever is important. But really what's going on there is something else. And people are lining up. And maybe the one side saying, I want to keep the church the same as it was when I grew up and in blankety-blank expletive, I do not want this to change. While the other side saying, we need to change it. We need to change it radically. I'm sick and tired of the way this church has been. And the blue carpet becomes the symbol, the ideological object. But really, all the facts about which carpet is better really don't get at what's driving the antagonism. Because it's not often when it comes to these antagonisms or ideologies or just conflicts and issues we feel like, especially being children of the Enlightenment, that more information is going to change the issue. But that's not the case because these things aren't happening at our intellectual level, our rational level. They're happening in the area of our identities, right? Who are we as people? And so uh, we're much more likely to ignore information that's going to challenge us as a person. So back to your church uh, kind of example is people aren't arguing over the carpet. They're arguing about the identity of this church. Is this church going to be the same church that it's been for 100 years, or is it going to be a new church? Is it transitioning into something else? Or they're arguing about my identity and how I see myself in this place. Sure. And change it, and it's going to, it's it's attacking my identity. Do I still have the power or influence in this church that I used to have, and the fact that I'm not getting my way over this carpet is showing that I don't have the position of influence? Right, so it can happen on multiple levels, institutional levels and personal levels. And so we, as pastors, as ministers, as leaders in the church and in other arenas of life, we always have to remember, hey, this conversation isn't just happening on the intellectual level. It's happening on the identity level, the personal level, which is really where uh, ideologies and things um, are at its strongest, but least acknowledged. Well, just to give you an example, we had a woman at our church who, uh, I guess, uh, this is back when I was at Life in the Vine. I've been at uh, Peace of Christ Church, at church plant of Life in the Vine for over three years, or two years. But anyways, Life in the Vine, uh, I remember I preached a sermon and I used an example of um, a a car and I said I wouldn't buy a car that didn't get over 40 miles per gallon and and uh, it, it struck a chord with a member of our congregation and she accused me of being an eco-terrorist in other words I was somebody on the ecological cre- uh, bandwagon eco-theological bandwagon and I was pushing for an agenda and she was very much against it well we did reconciliation but we never we never she couldn't see that I really wasn't uh, actually folks that wasn't part of what I was after you're just cheap I'm just cheap, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and and so we brought a third party in, and we started we started to uh, uh, you know get at the get at the depths of things and what's really going on here. And it turned out, and then then she blurts out, "I feel marginalized in this church. I'm the only conservative, true conservative in this church. Everybody discounts me. I have no voice." Okay, at that point. It became clear as to bingo. What was, now we're talking now about we're, what we're really now talking we're engaging about. what's going on, and the church needed to hear this, and we needed to understand what was happening, and we needed to learn from each other on not only this issue but many, many more. So, one tip for all of us who engage in these kind of arenas 
is, is to always be listening for the conversation underneath the conversation and don't be too quick to try to refute or engage factual errors or different misconceptions, whether it's about the Bible or the science or yourself and how you're leading or the church and its history. Don't fall for the bait of those intellectual factual issues, always be listening and trying to pull it down to another level. So, but how do we affect change? So, so Christopher, so, hold on, Christopher uh, Grace, who's a social researcher, uh, who that we've kind of been quoting in this article, uh, he talks about that people will resist abandoning a false belief unless they have a compelling alternative explanation. Unless they have, and I wouldn't say just explanation, but a compelling alternative identity that they can be formed, or around. a compelling alternative way of life that they're seeing possibilities for. So fill out this alternative story. How do we engage in the ideological kind of field or systems that we find ourselves? Are you already in? pushing me to close this? Because I got not to close it, not to close it, but I'm just pushing into that kind of alternative formed kind of spaces. How do well, we well, move in, into those spaces? In my so I guess the main point I want to make is, and it may not sound too practical when I say it the first time, but my point is don't police ideologies from afar. I feel like so many Christians are out there being policemen or police women, policing ideologies. And it goes and both ways. So the complementarians are policing the egalitarians, egalitarians and how they're all are blah, policing blah, blah, right? The creationists the, are policing the, the alternative sexuality issue. We're policing what you just said, what you just doing. You're policing me, and and which side are you on? And of course, the pastor wants to come in and make a resolution. And you want, and and even the pastors end up in the position of policing ideologies. And by the way, even seminary students were out there policing ideologies. Well, what you just said was, yeah, it sounded good, but what you were really doing was this you need to stop doing that and and everybody just ends up in this war of words and we never do really engage in the work of justice peace and the renewal of all things on the ground my advice is stop don't police ideologies from afar inhabit those conflicts inhabit those tensions those antagonisms and engage them organically opening up space for the kingdom of God. When I say, whenever I say opening up space, I mean making space for us to be in relation to one another. Calm the tension. Be present unanxiously and listen to what God's doing in the other person and pay attention. And, and, and it doesn't matter really if we're in a Black Lives Matters march, if we're at a local village ordinance committee, if we're on the block where there's just been some heated exchange between some members of our community, whether it's over dinner with our family. Don't police ideologies. Make space to listen, hear, and tend to what Jesus is doing for the reconciliation of our lives and our neighborhoods and our towns and our villages. So don't police ideologies from afar. I forget, I was supposed to do this research uh, for this podcast so I could remember exactly what town it was. But there was a city that had uh, shifted because of, uh, you know, violence uh, between African-Americans and the police. And they said that their first year police officers would have to walk all their beats. And so they'd spend the first year walking and getting to know every person on the side of the road in the, uh, the stores and the different shops. And they weren't allowed just to drive around in their SUV, uh, you know, cars and whatnot. 
uh, from afar and responding to different Bullet, problems. They actually had to. glass. All right. Well, I wasn't going to go all the way there, right? So, so, so the, the idea is, is well, let's get into the neighborhoods. Let's get into people's lives. Let's actually walk around, let's not make present. assumptions, uh, not uh, and then not give into when people make assumptions about us, and then try to defend ourselves against those assumptions. But let's walk around in the neighborhoods, the mental neighborhoods of the people uh, in our lives. Rather than just from afar online, oh, I heard you say, I saw this tweet and now I got to counter you and subtweeting and blah, 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 right? But can we get past the social media feeding frenzy, uh, ideology policing and into actual people's lives? So basically we're arguing to shut down Facebook and Twitter. Is that right? No, that's not totally right, but it's close. All right. So that's a great example of of this whole concept. Um, But, you know, uh, I see the church as... Uh, almost I define the church as this place formed around the presence of Christ. I mean, most obviously on Sunday morning gathering, but secondarily, or not secondarily, uh, as well as in the neighborhoods, as well as in the various places of our, uh, you know, what I call the half circles of our lives where people are hurting, people are struggling, people are in violence, people are in, uh, and, and that's what the church does, and that's what, the pastor must lead the church into any time he faces those ideologies. So I would just close with uh, Catholic theologian uh, von Balthasar. He speaks about how um, love alone is credible or love alone is believable. And it's this idea that it's only through love that a new world of facts and imagination and credibility can come into existence, an alternative kind of reality um, to the one we understand. And so instead of policing ideologies instead of going after the facts and the figures of things we have to remember that it's only through the acts and the postures of love um, that people are changed and transformed and that new beliefs and new systems of understanding can be built Um, and so can we i know that can for some people that sounds you know very syrupy and that we're abandoning truth you know for this you know ephemeral thing called love but the but the truth is if i might say that love alone brings its own truth and leads us into the truth and so can we follow christ who is the way the truth and the life on that path uh, rather than going down the kind of ugly mess of policing ideologies well that's it for today uh we're going to be uh coming back soon with new uh and improved episodes with our different segments fitch versus fitch what you're reading, and maybe some other fun, surprising, different ones. Anything that you want to be sure we're doing or not doing, Dave Fitch? I know we got to have the music at the beginning, and we're not going back to the to the Griffith Center, right? Okay, Don't dude, bring that dude, up. Dude, those are the only two things I want. I want the, the music to be longer, and I want us to go back to the Griffith Fitch Conference. has demands. If he's going to do Griffith this podcast, he's got demands for Season 2. We'll see if we can make these demands. In the meantime, we love your uh, subscription or reviews and ratings on iTunes and other places, fine places that you listen to the podcast thank you so much for listening to us you can find dave fitch on twitter at fitchist uh, and myself at jeff holsclaw and you can find us on facebook hit us up start a conversation we'd love to get some ideas and topics on this podcast from all of you listeners thank you so much over and out from not griffith (laughs) from studio one northern seminary